Hello, I'm Dr. Trish Burgess, Director of Global Health Outreach, and I'm here with my Associate Director, Ron Brown. And we're excited to be talking about the Navajo Nation. And Ron, you have a long time history with the Navajo Nation. Why don't you start with telling us about that? Well, again, it's exciting to be a part of this Let's Go GHO podcast. And uh, yes, my wife and I were blessed uh, to begin our missionary career by serving 10 years with World Gospel Mission initially out in the Southwest, in Arizona specifically. Of course, many of our listeners uh, through CMDA and JHO uh, veterans uh, know well Dr. David Stevens' uh, history with Tenwick Hospital, and our current CEO, uh, Mike Chupp, was at Tenwick, and that is run by the Mission Board, World Gospel Mission, that I grew up with, and then Becky and I served 24 years. And those first 10 years were at a place called Southwest Indian School in the outskirts of Phoenix and Peoria. And uh, we were dorm parents, teachers, coaches. She was actually a cheerleading sponsor. And we had about 180 uh, Native kids there. A lot of them, a high percentage of the population of our student body were, were Navajo. We called them kids then, and we call them kids today. They're a lot of them not much younger than we are and have as many kids or more grandkids than we do. But they're still kind of our, our kids. We kind of lost track with them, to be honest with you, when we went to Spain. Uh, but when we came back, the advent of Facebook and email and uh, some of these social media communications have reconnected us. And so uh, in the last years, uh, our largest support church actually is, is out in Sun City. And so every four or five years, we go out to that missions conference uh, and reconnect with our support church. We usually spend a week on one of the reservations uh, just visiting our kids, grandkids from those days. It was from 1975 to 1985 that we were out there. And so uh, that's kind of our history. We've reconnected with them, but then something special happened. I guess maybe you'll ask me about that. Yeah, and very early on in COVID, when New York was becoming such a bad hotspot for COVID, and I think just about everyone in, in the U.S. was focusing on New York and how can we help New York. But you and Becky, with your heart for the Navajo, were noticing another hotspot that was developing and they were really struggling. So we were thinking and talking about the Navajo Nation and how we might be able to help them. So how did that actually come about early on when you guys just had a heart for what they were suffering through when most of the country was not focused in that area, but they were a hot spot for COVID? Well, I'd like to give a shout out actually to one of our GHO veterans, uh, Dr. Charles Brewerd, uh, who's a, uh, used to be our CMDA Tennessee representative and still lives in Tennessee and has been on many GHO teams. And I've had the privilege of serving with him around the world in, in different settings with GHO. And he had read an article uh, back uh, some months ago about Doctors Without Borders were actually going and sending a team to the Navajo hotspot. And uh, he emailed me and said, you know, if Doctors Without Borders are going there, why isn't CMDA and GHO? And, of course, at that time, you know, we didn't think of domestics because GHO is overseas and, and international. But with everything shutting down and us canceling all those teams, it seemed the right thing to do. So we made inquiry. Actually, through another ministry, we thought we might partner with them. That didn't work out. 
But we contacted then Indian Health Services through, again, uh, some of the alumni that uh, Becky and I knew. Uh, and we'd just actually been out in Arizona and on the Navajo Reservation in February at that missions conference I referred to earlier. And uh, one contact led to another, to another. And uh, then small world being uh, uh, the Christian world is so, so small. Here the Indian Health Services Navajo area director was one of our students. And uh, Rosalind So, uh, his father was a renowned uh, Nazarene pastor, came and did a revival at our school back in the day. And and uh, here, Becky was her cheerleading sponsor. She was one of my biology students, if you can imagine, back in the day. And now she is the director of the Indian Health Services for the Navajo Nation. And so those contacts led to uh, us finding out they had a need, an ongoing need, and they liked the idea of GHO veterans that we would vet, uh, literally, uh, and know that these were people who we could trust and and go and would understand cross-cultural ministry. So one door started opening after another. Then you experienced this, but I can tell you about COPE. Uh, Remember when we found out about them, Trish? Yes. In fact, I um, I remember standing in the hall briefly when you were starting to make all these contacts and getting really excited about it. And we got on a conference call together. And there were, I think we tried to count it, but, you know, it was conference and not video so harder. But we counted 12 or so different ministries on that conference call, all willing to help. Samaritan's Purse was on there. COPE was on there. You know, we were on there and in quite a few others that we didn't even know. Some of we knew from iTech. I think an iTech person was even on that call. They talked about what their needs were, and different people were talking about how they might be able to help. Some were thinking about how we could bring them supplies. Some were thinking about how we could bring physical bodies to come help, you know, doctors and nurses and that sort of thing. So it was from there that we dis- you connected with COPE. And how did that transpire that we got help from them? Well, our key contact uh, with the Indian Health Services is a delightful woman by the name of Brenda Martin. And uh, actually, all of these contacts have led for opportunities for us to witness, to share about our faith and our priority here at CMDA and GHO specifically. So she is the chief recruiter for the Indian Health Services Navajo area, Brenda Martin. And she said, well, we have a partner that I want to introduce you to that may be able to help you all. And I said, okay, who's that? And she said, well, it's COPE, and that stands for Community Outreach patient empowerment, and it's an NGO slash foundation. So we connected with them, and um, they said, well, you know, when people come out to volunteer and give two weeks to serve, uh, we want to be a part of that. And so we'll provide their airplane ticket. Uh, If they're driving, we'll reimburse their gasoline receipts. We'll provide lodging. And if they need a rental car, we'll cover most of the cost of that. And when they finished saying that and emailing me that, I thought, are you kidding? Uh, in my 20-plus years at GHO, I've never had anybody underwrite most of the expenses of a GHO participant. And it's an NGO. It's a secular group. But they wanted to partner with people coming to volunteer, and that was their contribution. Yeah, that was such a great blessing because we're used to handling our finances on our own, each team member. Even the leaders frequently pay their own trip fees. They buy their own airline ticket, you know, with their help, but they're paying for it. So it was like 
wow, really, they want to pay for it for us to come? It just was like surprising. But what a blessing, too, to have that opportunity. And so I ended up serving one of the first ones, actually the first one coming in. And I ended up flying in through Albuquerque and then drove to Shiprock, um, which is in the the northeast sort of part of the Navajo Nation. And it was actually a beautiful drive. I mean, the the rocks that they have and the and the different layers and colors of the rocks and the sand is just really stunning. So I really enjoyed just even driving there. And then there was a complication. I came in on a Sunday though that the Navajo Nation now is is on complete quarantine through the weekend. So from eight o'clock Friday to five o'clock or so Monday morning they're closed. So it was a little bit deserted looking, but you know, the grocery store was open and that sort of thing. But I was actually told to get groceries before I I got to Shiprock because they weren't sure, you know, if those would be open for me to get food. You know, it was interesting going to Shiprock. I learned a lot about the Navajo. We did a day to day and a half orientation. And interestingly, a lot of that was, um, you know, it was learning the electronic record system in the hospital and that sort of thing. But they did give you a, a couple pages of cultural differences in the Navajo, which was fascinating and interesting to learn, especially from a medical perspective. You know, as far as doctors go, we are taught in medical school, you know, 90% of your diagnosis is just in the history. When you sit down and talk with them and ask them about, you know, their symptoms, you should be pretty sure of what they have before you even touch the patient. You know, and then and then your exam is just confirming what you're thinking based on history, and then the testing is just, again, confirming what you already know or, or should know. Um, by then. So the int- one of the interesting cultural differences about the Navajo is that they don't like to answer a lot of questions. So they'll give you their two or three symptoms that we're, they're having, and they feel that's sufficient for you to be able to know what's wrong with them, and they expect you to proceed from there, which I thought was just really sweet. I, I didn't really encounter that a whole lot. Uh, a lot of the ones I was taking care of seemed to be younger. Um, but I did have, you know, the older, more traditional Navajo. I did have one or two who exactly did that it when it was very cute I mean I just couldn't help but giggle a little about it because they really did we're like I'm done answering questions you can proceed with the exam now I mean basically like I'm not going to answer anything else did you uh, have to use interpreters at any time were everyone especially the older people uh, fluent in English or did you need some interpretation no we, we needed interpreters for mostly the older older yeah. people. Um, and there was a nurse, the one time I had one that completely just spoke Navajo. So uh, some of the nurses could speak Navajo, not very many, you know, because the younger generation does learn English, I think probably more now. I worked in the ER as an emergency medicine doctor. I would say about a third of the staff they had were Navajo. So some of them could speak Navajo. And then two thirds were were, uh, were not Native Americans. Um, and with the physicians, I didn't meet any Navajo physicians. I, I know there are some, but just in the ER, I didn't, and the people that came down to admit patients, I didn't encounter any of them. But so there, I think they still have people around that can help. Um, one of the things they do talk about is that the Navajo language is is not nearly as complex as the English language. So a lot of the words we use and questions we ask, they struggle to interpret because there aren't really good words for that. Um, so I think that is always going to be a challenge for them, just like it is when we go to a developing country. You know, our language is very complex compared to most other languages. So that was interesting. Well, speaking of developing countries, I think some people who are following this through GHO and CMBA as well as on the news 
may remember that there are distinct cultural differences. There's linguistic uh, challenges. Uh, but sadly, one of the reasons why COVID has made such a hot spot of the Navajo Reservation is the fact that 30% of the people living on the reservation do not have running water. And we're talking about the year 2020, and 30% don't have running water. Many of those uh, don't even have power lines to their place. If they have electricity, it's through a generator. And then they have multi-generational people living in the same home or the same uh, little uh, community there, but they're very isolated, they're spread out. And so uh, lack of running water, and uh, a lot of vulnerable population there, and, and many of the older people, I think you found out, have underlying medical conditions. Hypertension is big, and diabetes, and so on. And so it's been a bit of a perfect storm as far as catching them and uh, a very vulnerable population that's taken a toll on them from the COVID. And then the isolation, which none of us understand and, and, and can wrap our head around, but people dying in hospitals alone and not a hand to hold, not a face to see that you recognize, uh, not someone be able to speak your language in those last moments. Uh, it's been heart-wrenching to think about all that's been going on. Yeah, pretty much everything we're told to do regarding COVID and COVID prevention, they can't do. You know, they didn't have hand sanitizer supplies. They don't have running water to wash their hands. And um, quarantining the elderly is not possible with the entire family and maybe even more than one family all living under one roof. So I think all of that, plus, like you mentioned, their chronic disease was a perfect storm mm. for COVID to just uh, to just really hit them hard, which is why, you know, you were so led to lead us in that direction and lead GHO to go on our first ever domestic mission to the Navajo Nation to help. And when you think about it, of all the people in this country that we should have a heart for and be concerned about. It would be those Native Americans that were here long before anyone else got here and how what their situation is now. So I'm actually kind of hopeful that some of this will raise awareness for the plight of the Navajo and, and other Indians out on reservations in, in the desert, which is a really hard life and a good day. You know, and then you bring this ugly virus to town and it can just devastate them. And so, you know, most of the patients I did see were COVID or concerns of COVID or alcohol related. You know, we've known, I think most of us have heard that there is a problem with alcoholism in Native Americans, whatever genetic issue they have that causes them to be more susceptible to that. But I was shocked at how severe. I mean, I knew they had a good bit of it, but really quite severe. I mean, I the first patient I had was an alcohol withdrawal and he um, had been drinking four pints of liquor a day. And I was like, holy cow, I don't know that I've ever seen. I mean, maybe a rare one, but that's just really unusual. And then I went back and read through his chart and actually it was six pints a day is what he used to drink and he was down to four. But so, you know, they have a lot of chronic disease and like you said, hypertension, diabetes, that all make them more susceptible. But you know, their, their, their healthcare system is really actually good. I was impressed by it. And one of the things they did have was they had PPE. So I think the government had stepped up and really helped them supplying safe PPE because a lot of people initially were donating 
things like hand sanitizer, but um, that also led them into trouble because some hand sanitizer had methanol in it, which is quite toxic to the human body. And they had had three people when I was there die of methanol poisoning. Um, so, you, you know, it's a classic one, helping hurts. You know, you're trying to do everything you can to help them, but sometimes you have to step back and be a little cautious before you just jump in. One of the things that uh, you refer to is the fact that for decades now, if you look at all the negative statistics of a culture or people group, or in our case, the United States, whether it's, as you say, chronic diseases, unemployment, lack of education, uh, we already talked about the lack of running water and so on, but almost all the negative statistics uh, that are in the United States, the Native American people are leading in those, and obviously that's not a good thing. And how, again, that it's the year 2020, and we have still not addressed uh, some basic issues of just, don't they have a right to running water? Don't they have a right to electricity? Can you imagine you living in your community? Last night, my wife and I, in our little town of Kingsport, our neighborhood lost electricity. We don't know why. It was out about two or three hours. And it's like the world comes to an end. Hmm. Yeah. Well, they live like that every day. Especially the running water. They have these huge tanks they have in the back of pickup trucks, and they have to drive 30 miles to fill that up to then go home and fill up their home supply. And so that can be a weekly problem. And remember, again, there's multiple generations of family living in these homes. So you can imagine how quick they're going through that water and how many trips to go get water that would take. And how, I mean, that consumes a lot of your life is, you know, worrying about do we have water? Do we have gas for the generator so we can have electricity? All those things. And then weekends, a lot of that shutting down and it's illegal for them to even leave the house. You know, they they have to have a permit to be able to drive their car anywhere that's saying it's essential. Um, When we were discharging patients from the ER, they had to get their permit to so they could drive home and not get in trouble coming home from the ER. So, I mean, it's just such a different world there. I kept telling myself, you're in the United States, but I just felt like I was in a third world developing country the whole time. So it was really like, wow, kept kept reminding myself that this is the United States of America. I mentioned that we were out in Arizona in February. And uh, again, how crazy and interesting and wonderful the world is we live in, especially among the Christians. So... Uh, Native people have had missionaries serving on their reservations for decades. A lot of those mission groups have developed and progressed and improved the way they minister and serve our Native people. But it was interesting when we were at that February uh, meeting up on the reservation, where we actually in Flagstaff and met at a restaurant with a lot of our alumni. Uh, one of them said, well, you'd be interested to know that my church, and a lot of them are wonderful believers with wonderful pastors and have youth ministries and children's ministries and camp meetings and even do a kind of a rodeo. Uh, they ride their horses all day to where they're going to have their camp meeting that lasts for two weeks during the summer. But she said, uh, our church uh, sent a mission team, and they went to Poland and they went to Ireland as missionaries That's awesome. to those people. And of course, they have received for decades, but now they are having a vision for the world and to evangelize and to disciple and to have a mission heart. 
So there's a lot of encouragement on the reservations as far as churches and the growth, but there's still some big challenges. In fact, there's a few of the tribes in the United States that are still considered statistically an unreached people group which, again, kind of boggles your mind. Yeah, it does boggle your mind, but I'm sure there's pockets of those all over our country. Um, One thing, you know, my overall impression of the Navajo people is how kind and gentle and really just what a precious people group they are, how generous they are in taking care of their elderly. And it really is precious to take care of them. In fact, in Navajo Nation, you cannot rent property or buy property. So most of the healthcare team that are not Navajo have to commute because they can't, they have to live off the reservation so they commute in, which can cause some staffing problems. But the several I talked to in my two weeks in the ER of the doctors I worked with, all did it primarily because they really loved the people group and they had such a heart for the Navajo people because it's not a great place if you're thinking of living there in in an American perspective of wanting to have movie theaters and art, you know, and entertainment and all those things. But the people are what draws you to them. And so I, I think they are struggling and trying to hang on to their culture in a lot of ways. In fact, you know, they traditionally use a medicine man. And so when I was there at the very start of my very first shift, I was pretty nervous. You know, I hadn't worked in the ER in a couple years and didn't know this ER, um, you know, and was learning a whole new electronic record system. So I'm a little nervous going in. And before I even start and see a patient, a medicine man came in and they had let him in there. I don't know what hospital representative let him into the ER because I think he was going different areas in the hospital. But he had the staff gather around. So we all gathered around in a circle with him and he had in his hand, it looks like the plate that you would have if you went to have fajitas at a restaurant where there is a wood bottom to hold the like wrought iron hot plate where everything's sizzling on. So he had that with him and he was dropping these little, these dried leaves on it and they start smoking. And I think the leaves were probably sage, but I'm not 100% sure. But anyway, so he's sort of in the middle of our circle and he's putting these leaves on it, starts smoking. He has this giant feather and he's waving it and basically around the circle, waving the smoke toward us. And then we were supposed to use both hands like you're calling someone towards you to call the smoke towards you. And then he did a native chant over us and uh, said that was their um, blessing over us and appreciation for the work that we were doing there and how we were helping his people. So it was so precious. And then one of the nurses uh, talked to me right after that. I was like, wow, I've never seen anything like that. And she said, well, I hadn't either. And I've worked here a little while, but I haven't had them come in. But we did have a medicine man that worked here at the hospital. And he believed in modern medicine and traditional medicine. So he was working to have a blend of those for the traditional Navajo who were more comfortable with going to a medicine man than they were to a hospital. So he had a clinic there so that they would get used to coming to the hospital for help. And he would he would help them with his medicine and then would encourage them to also seek you know, modern medicine help. And so he was trying to bridge that gap and hang on to the culture at the same time, you know, help them understand that modern medicine isn't an evil thing either. But he had gotten COVID and he had died about a month before we got there. And there was grief. This was another medicine man you the, uh, the medicine to? man. And uh-huh. the medicine man that was working at the hospital. Okay. So this other medicine man came in and talked about the grief they had over the loss yes. of him. And I don't know if he, it was, it, it, you know, it laid him on his heart to help be one to try and bridge the gap. But he was just, it was precious moment to see how cultures are so essential to hang on to. 
at the same time, um, the United States is in this big racism battle and and me versus you battle and everything seems to be one side versus the other and everything. But there is a way to bridge the gap and hang on to both our cultural um, aspects of each of us and come together as one body, you know, one American. It's interesting because this clash of cultures, we might describe it, and clash of worldviews, and then, of course, down to the essence of is a class of faith or religions. Native people are torn by what they've been taught and raised and seems to be embedded in their culture. But we know Jesus and the message of the gospel transcends cultures and transcends uh, languages and worldviews uh, where Jesus is the great healer. And to see Native people embrace Christ as fully Native, understanding their language, understanding their worldview, and yet showing respect, uh, even though uh, most people who have worked in Native cultures knows that their Native religion is not based on the Bible, is not based on the essentials of Christianity. And uh, so it does become a clash of cultures, a clash of worldviews. And uh, the fact that many have given their hearts to Christ and, and follow uh, the gospel and follow the Bible, and they've seen transformation in their lives, like you say, all these people fighting alcohol and, and drug abuse, to find a hope and a healing in Christ has been literally transformational. And they're trying to uh, figure out how to navigate that complicated road of embracing the gospel, embracing Christ, and embracing their cultures. Some uh, a veteran missionary, when we were out there, uh, described it this way, and you probably saw some Navajo rugs that are this amazing expression of culture and art and tapestry, and these traditional uh, Navajo women who make these rugs, they have the, the uh, idea in their mind they're not looking at something physically and following it. It just comes out. And they're all so, as I would say, disproportionately gifted in art, whether it's silversmithing or drawing or chalk, you know, different motives. and, and, and stonework. Yeah, totally. And, and then, of course, the uh, sand paintings and the Navajo rugs. But um, someone said, you know, you look at a Navajo rug and where you see a thread of something that's unbiblical, you wisely find that thread and gently pull it out and weave, as it were, the gospel, but you leave the Navajo rug or whatever tribe it might be without destroying it, but you want to put the gospel and Christ in so that he becomes the great healer for them and they're not looking at a cult or other practices for that. So it is a class of cultures. You witnessed it on your first day there in the hospital. Yeah. What a, what a beautiful image of how to describe going about that um, with love, with gentleness, with kindness and one little thread and not saying it's a bad thread, but it's it's a different thread. And it's not it's not salvation thread and trying to weave those in there, gently respecting the tapestry that mm -hmm. you're working with. So our teams are still going. We're doing it. It's not a regular GHO team as usual, as you can imagine. What we're doing is um, working with them to fill holes where they have needs, um, if they need doctors, if they need nurses, which has been the primary need, I think, mostly has been nursing, critical care nursing, critical care doctors, um, but also various other things, um, pharmacists, and even non-medical people that might want to help with COVID tracking, contact tracing. And uh, so 
there are lots of opportunities still to serve. We're facilitating, so more of a one-on-one or two-on-two or three-on-three basis. We're not sending a whole team in at once and leaving. So it's a little different from what we usually do, but then again, a domestic mission is completely different from what we usually do. So we have currently there, speaking of pharmacists, we have two pharmacists there and a physician. Again, all of them uh, with a lot of experience with GHO teams. Uh, Our own Emily Flores, who's a pharmacist and a professor here at the ETSU School of Pharmacy in Johnson City, Rachel Kaczynski and, and Michael Falloon. They're all veterans of many teams. They're serving right now in Chin Lee. And then we have a team of four getting ready to go to the end of this month. Those are three physicians and a nurse practitioner. Then into September, we have another group of physicians going. We don't know yet where they'll be assigned because this is a kind of a moving target, depending on where the hot spots, who needs relief, and those that are exhausted that need some support. And so we right now have people all the way through November 7th, and we're looking to add one final two-week segment because when you do go, they do orientation. There's a lot of things involved, so they're asking for a minimum of two-week commitment. And so we have people scheduled on each of these two-week segments through November 7th, and we're looking at opening actually one more segment from November 7th through the 21st, and that would get people back in time for Thanksgiving but uh, it's been a privilege that we can serve them, serve our first Americans, and bring the love of the gospel in a very gentle and kind way. And as I mentioned, there are many, many believers on uh, all the reservations, and certainly the Navajo reservation, and to love them, to pray with them, to encourage them, to serve them, and then to learn from them and listen to them is part of this whole thing that we call GHO. And it's such a blessing to get this opportunity to help to serve them, but also get to know them, like you said. And it's a little different. I think I would say it's the very first GHO mission I've ever been on that I wasn't yelling, let's go, GHO. But if you're interested at all in serving the Navajos, it's a great opportunity. I know they feel very blessed to have us serving them. And I've even raised the possibility at some point of maybe extending this. And so uh, we're, we're thrilled that we're a Navajo Nation, and we're happy if you're interested to talk with you, Ron or I, um, you can contact us at cmda.org slash gho. And if you have any interest in any serving with the Navajo, um, we're also currently working on posting our trips for next year. We are planning to go full steam ahead, trusting the Lord that COVID is going to be a thing of the past one day soon. So we hope to see you on the mission field. And I would just uh, be remiss if I didn't tell the few Navajo words I know, and I should have started off with a greeting, Yatahe, which uh, my Navajo people listening to this will start laughing. And then when <laughs> we uh, would say goodbye, you would say Hakona, and then you would say Oh. Oh, I can do that one. I can speak Navajo. So there you go. And as you said, let's go, G-H-O. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.
Thank you.